night, and welcome to Fast Break Breakfast NBA Podcast. My name is Keith, here alone for a bonus episode. Chuck and John will be back next week for a regular full episode. This here is a bonus episode because I get so excited for the NBA Draft Lottery and all things about team building and team movement and off-season stuff. So I thought I would check in with a disciple of the process, Max Rappaport, to see how lottery night went, a.k.a. Sixers Super Bowl. Uh, Some notes on the recording. This was taped on Wednesday uh, in a non-Evergreen content sort of way. I refer to last night several times, and that is referring to Tuesday night, lottery night, the night of the big lottery party. Also, we had some technical issues during recording. The audio dropped a couple of times, and there was another time I thought the audio had dropped, but nope, we were just sitting there in silence. So I pieced it together best I could. Uh, Hopefully you won't notice, but the conversation was honestly a little stilted. So if you want to listen to this one a little faster than some of the other ones, maybe this is the one you want to try out that 2x speed on could be the one and it'll sound smooth all right before we get to the talk i need a big favor from all you guys listening the vanderbilt alumni team that i've been talking about that's trying to get in the basketball tournament uh they need votes to get in they've been slipping in the standings they have Derek byers john jenkins shane foster lance goldburn festus azili is coaching or something so they have a lot of nba pedigree but to get into the basketball tournament they need your vote it only takes an email address any email address that you can verify. You could use several email addresses, but go to fastbreakbreakfast.com. That will redirect you to their team page. All you have to do is click on vote for team there. So if you have 30 seconds, you can do it while you are listening to this episode on your phone. Go to fastbreakbreakfast.com. That will redirect you to the right page. And then just click on the big orange link that says become a fan. Vote for this team. My guest today is a writer and podcaster covering the Sixers. You can find him at Complex Sports and Liberty Ballers. He co-hosts the Step Over Pod. He makes novelty Sixers t-shirts for Step Over Tees. And he's a return guest, Mr. Max Rappaport. How are you? You really made me sound like a winner with uh, all all those dumb things I do. That's right. Yeah. These are uh, all those things combined make maybe, you know, $8 a month. Yes. No, I don't. <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough racket. But yeah, no, you have a lot to your name. You got a lot going on. Thank you. I, I try. So uh, before we get going, and you had a big night uh, with the lottery party, you seem to be very involved with all that going on at the Comcast Live in Philadelphia. Um, but before we get there, the day after, have you had breakfast? Um, you know what, as, as we're talking right now, I'm eating, uh, some Icelandic, uh, Greek yogurt, or I guess it's not Greek yogurt. It's like Icelandic yogurt, but it's basically like Greek yogurt. Um, I hadn't eaten until right now. So I guess this is my breakfast right now. What makes an Icelandic yogurt, uh, Icelandic? I mean, I've been to Iceland. I don't remember their yogurt. Um, well, what it says on the back is purely Icelandic. This, (laughs) I think it's Skyr or Skur is the name of the, the company. Oh yeah. Um, this is Skur, as it's been enjoyed by, it, for, 
centuries in Ireland, a combination of milk and cultures that is rich and creamy. Simplicity on a spoon. That is familiar. I do. I do remember seeing that before. What's your? Uh, do you have a celebratory breakfast? Like perhaps you planned ahead after your big night, and uh, with the pick swap, something you do to treat yourself in the morning. You know, I wish I had. Um, I, the reason I waited so long on breakfast was that. So I was at the the lottery party last night, and I was there probably until like ten thirty or eleven o'clock because. People hung around. We did a live podcast from there. And on the way back, I got McDonald's and <laughs> felt felt bad about it mm-hmm. afterwards and uh, woke up and was like, I am not going to eat for a little while because I feel like crap. Yeah, they I don't know if you're a common fast food eater. I don't eat it a ton, although we have gotten into arguments on our show whether or not Chipotle is fast food. But oh, no way. It's not. As far as the drive through, I don't eat much fast food. And the last time I had McDonald's, like I was hung over within an hour. Like I had chicken McNuggets <laughs> hangover in an afternoon, just like, ah, my head is killing me. But yeah, so you have a, you have a little late night regret McDonald's run. In the. In the moment, it felt celebratory, though. <laughs> That's perfect. Well, tell me the highlight from the lottery party. And once again, I'm blown away. I'm so jealous. I'm not jealous of the Sixers' journey in this universe as far as the uh, the losing, the process, and that. But I am jealous of the lottery party because I, I can't think of anything else like that. It looks so much fun. There's like 3,000 people all gathered at one bar. I'm a Grizzlies fan. I don't think 3,000 Grizzlies fans have ever been together outside of a basketball <laughs> game. Literally, I don't know how you could get that many because they're, they're, let's be real, there's not that many. So uh, I, I'm jealous of the watch party and what, or the, the, whatever you call it. What was the highlight of all that? I mean, the, the highlight for me, and I'll talk a little bit more about the party because it was it was pretty cool. But uh, the highlight for me was the moment that number eight came up and it was the New York Knicks. Yeah. And, and Sacramento had jumped. And, and, you know, I think ending up at three, I was happy with anything above four. That was like, I think the top three of this draft is, is really nice. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about that. But like, I was happy with three. But the fact that it came via the swap, I mean, the place went absolutely nuts. I, I would say that the reaction to knowing that the Kings got into the top three was very similar to last year getting number one at that same party. Yeah, I, I, it was fun to watch. And I, I saw the video, your periscope of it, which was amazing when they're calling out the uh, they're calling out the names on TV and you guys are all getting hyped and then you start chanting swamp and then it actually comes through like that actually gave me chills. Like I, I, I was happy for you guys. After that, there, there, did, there did seem to be a little confusion like when the uh, when the Suns are called mm-hmm. at four, there's like some cheers, but that's kind of bad. And it did seem like you you had a there was some emotional sorting out that had to be done. Yeah, I thought I thought that reaction was interesting. It was the same one last year, and I thought last year was even a little bit more clear that you didn't want it to convey just because last year's draft wasn't as good. Um, but I, I I'm fine. I, I would have liked the pick to come in at four. Getting three and four would have been really nice. Um, the fact that it doesn't go away, it's unprotected next year, and I don't anticipate the Lakers making a huge jump. Um, we, we were joking afterwards. <clears throat> it really just ensures that we'll have another lottery party next year no matter what. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so that's so I'm, I'm happy about that. That's Lakers slander, by the way, if you didn't catch it. I mean, uh, assuming, you know, Lakers are definitely in the lottery. So you are, so you're already kind of consoling yourself with not having the transfer this season. Yeah, and I think the fact that the Sixers pick came in top three really really help with that. If it had been, if the swap hadn't existed and the Sixers name had come up at five and the Lakers pick didn't come up, I think the room would have been really bummed and I would have been bummed. But the fact that they got the, the three pick and have a, an opportunity for another top three pick next year. And then after that, have the Kings unprotected pick. Like 
I think it's just a good, it's almost better to, in a way, I, I wanted it now. Like I'm at this point impatient, but um, there is an argument that spreading it out and spreading out the contracts and everything and, and getting a sense of what you have this year and go, you know, cause next year's uh, next year, there are a couple of really nice centers, like maybe in a year, hopefully this isn't the case, but maybe in a year you feel more like you might want to draft a center because Embiid was banged up again and whatever. Like I think having the clarity of another year to see what Ben Simmons is, what presumably like Josh Jackson is, um, and how they all fit. And then being able to make a pick based on that is kind of nice instead of having to make two right now. Yeah. That's definitely the, uh, the glass half full way, yeah. way, way, way to look at things. The, the problem with that is also you, the way you keep spreading it out is from an outsider perspective, which I say a lot when I talk about the Sixers is you're still spreading out. Like at some point, I feel like you guys need to compact the things you're doing, like get all the players together, not keep looking at it like, oh, we'll get another mm-hmm. pick this year. We'll we'll have a better sense of what we're doing after year four uh, of this going on. Um, so with this with this third pick and looking at the draft, like it, it seems unfortunate because it seems like one of the big needs of the Sixers is backcourt help, and it looks like, and I don't know much about the draft prospects, but everyone's talking Fultz and Ball going to be gone, and then it looks like the Sixers will probably be stuck with, I don't know if stuck's the right word, but they're going to get maybe Jackson or a wing. So how are you feeling about the draft position? Yeah, I, I mean, for me, I had Josh Jackson number two on my board. I, the way I looked at the draft, it was like Markel Fultz, pretty clearly number one for me. I don't think it was as pronounced as last year uh, with Ben Simmons and Ingram, but I think I could pencil him in as as the number one guy. And then I think there was a little bit of a drop off. Then you had Ball and Jackson somewhere around the same level. I actually had Jackson a little bit higher. And then after that, there's a pretty big drop off. So for me, I, I just take whoever's there of Lonzo Ball and Josh Jackson. I like Jackson a little bit more, and it does seem like the Lakers are probably going to go with Lonzo Ball. And I'd be shocked if the Celtics don't either take Markel Fultz or trade the pick to someone who's going to take Markel Fultz. So I think it'll probably be Jackson. I'd be pretty disappointed if it's anyone other than Jackson or Ball um, or in some weird scenario, Fultz, if he were to drop to three. Do you have any interest? I've been floating these a few trades on Twitter to a considerable backlash so far. Um, the uh, Do you have any interest <laughs> in, in trading that number three pick for veteran help if something became available? My thinking is with the Sixers, you know, do they really want to add another guy in Jackson who is a more of a potential, like he has high upside, he doesn't have a great shot, so adding another project into the mix, like would the Sixers go ahead and want to strike while the so-called iron is hot, like while you have maybe a healthy Embiid and Simmons to get someone like an Eric Bledsoe or a C.J. McCollum or someone like that? You know, it's funny, C.J. McCollum is the guy, I, I can't remember the scenario, the exact scenario I put out, but Yesterday, I was talking to people beforehand, and I think they were talking about if, if the Sixers ended up with two picks, like the two pick and the four pick, would you trade the four pick for McCollum, which I definitely would. And I think the two or the um, <clears throat> Trailblazers probably wouldn't. I think if three, that actually makes a little bit of sense for them um, just to clear that that money and, and start fresh with a four year rookie deal for a guy who does fit pretty well with the roster in, in Jackson. Um I think it clears a little bit of that logjam they have at, at, at guard. Um, that's exactly the type of move I'd like to make. I, I don't know how many guys out there like that there are. Um, I probably don't do it for 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 Bledsoe. Um, I don't think it's enough to get you someone like Jimmy Butler, or Paul George. 
I would consider packaging the pick. Like if I could get a really, if I could get Jimmy Butler, let's say, mm-hmm. um, packaging three and the Lakers pick next year, three and you know Robert Covington and Darius Aric or whatever you know whatever that is. Um, I would be interested in that. Or if they could trade three for an established young player like McCollum, I just don't know how many. I don't know how many guys like McCollum there are out there. Although I would do three for McCollum. Yeah, the the thing I floated on Twitter was three the three pick the twenty nineteen Sacramento first and a second. Yeah, so for like, me, I can't do it. The Sacramento pick, I feel like yeah, that might be a top five pick in two years. So I just I can't give up two top five picks for McCollum. That's just that's like what you're trading for Blake Griffin or for you know that's like to me is. I don't think that those teams do that for a pick that's two years down the line, but to give up two top five picks and get like the third best player on a really, really good team. I, I just don't, yeah, I, I don't see that. I, I look myself. at it. I look at it as like CJ McCollum is kind of in my mind, best case scenario for when you're drafting in the top five. So I, I could be convinced again, I, I have no skin in the game for either one of those teams, but uh, like, like for me, if I, if I was running the Sixers on, you know, NBA 2k, I would be like, you know what? Eh. Like well, let's just try to win some games. I'm also yeah. I'm also a an Embiid skeptic, in the sense that I'm not sure what Joel Embiid's gonna look like in 2019. So like, man, let's go for it. Let's do some things. Yeah, I get that. I I, I think I agree with you that McCollum to me is you're hoping. I mean, it would be awesome if Josh Jackson ends up being as good as Stephen McCollum. I just don't know if the difference between him and and, and considering the contracts also the difference between him and McCollum is worth an unprotected pick from a dysfunctional franchise that is, is already <laughs> a bottom five team or bottom 10 team. Yep. How, as you guys do look to maybe make moves in free agency and think about trading for veteran players, how do you think this cult, this subset as it is of Sixers fans who are so engrossed with the process, how are they going to transfer into like win now mode or, Maybe we do make sacrifices for the future for the immediate. How's that transition going to go? Well, I think it's you're starting to see it now with like all the rumors about Kyle Lowry and other free agents they're looking at. Um, I, I think it's going to happen this summer. I, I, whether it's Lowry or it's George Hill or it's you know Patty Mills and some other player, you know, I think they're they're going to spend all their money this this summer or try to at least. And I don't think it's going to be like it's been in la- in the past few years where it's stopgap players like they signed Sergio Rodriguez for one year, eight million. And, you know, I think you might see one or two of those guys, but I think you'll see at least one three or four year contract signed. Someone asked me last night when the when I felt like the process ended. And I think a lot of people would say it was when Hinky was fired or resigned or whatever you want to say. I felt like it was actually this January when the team really started gelling and Embiid was a monster before he got hurt. And basically the fan base completely stopped caring about wins and caring about Mm -hmm. losses, caring about the the lottery standings. And we're looking ahead towards like, even if we don't make the playoffs this year, or even if we're an AT and get our asses kicked by the Cavs, like that's good experience. And we, we just want what we have now to grow. And I feel like that's where the Sixers are. And I feel like we're kind of past that asset acquisition in the sense that, you have a top three pick this year. You have the future picks. You have Embiid and Simmons, Sarich, Robert Covington. Like, let these like these guys developing is more important than maximizing lottery odds in the future. So, I'm not. I don't want to mortgage. Like the Kyle Lowry thing is interesting because he's just 
at a certain age and a certain salary that it might hurt you in the future. And I don't want that. But if we're just talking about like throwing money to, to make the team kind of mediocre in the short term with the idea that it'll get better, I think that's where they should be. Like that that purgatory that everyone tries to avoid of being like borderline playoff or eight seed. That's where the Sixers want to be in the next couple of years and then move from there. I think if you're doing it on the way up, it's fine. Yeah, it seems like it's going to be tough also. It's like it's almost like you're swapping currency as a fan. Like you've been dealing in hope for this many years and now you actually have to like, nope, no, like we're not, we're not using hope anymore. Like your hope is no good. We're, we're like, like, mm-hmm. like we're going for wins. You mentioned Kyle Lowry is, is so this is something I guess as Grizzlies fans, we dealt with last year with the Mike Conley extension, thinking about like this, this could be ugly at the end of it. Year one, you know, returns were, were great. So how, how do you feel about Kyle Lowry going to the Sixers? And it seems like there's also a lot of momentum where people are feeling like already that, you know, there's a good chance that he does choose to go to the Sixers. Yeah, it does seem like it's moving in that direction. And you you hear a lot. You hear enough smoke out there that it seem like, seems like there probably is fire. Um, I'm, I'd be torn about it. I, I think I'd be excited. Like, I was excited when they signed Elden Brand in 2008. And I, I really thought that was going to pan out. And I was, like, scared at the times. He was coming off an Achilles. But I was like, you know what? He's been an all-star however many times before this. He's a 20-10 and 10 player. Um, you know, I, I sold myself on it and I got excited about it and then it obviously ended up being a, a flop, but I would get myself excited about Kyle Lowry and I think he's an awesome player and he fits really well and he's from the area. I think it'd be, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and also I just think the Sixers are at a point where you kind of want to sign some older players and not like Gerald Henderson, like good older players, <laughs> like top tier older players to lead guys like Ben Simmons and, um, Embiid and whatnot. I just there'd be part of me that's like I if this goes wrong, this is going to feel like everything that we railed against and everything that we tried to avoid the last few years was like we waited this long. Don't blow. It, it feels like. The Sixers, if they sign Kyle Lowry to a four year max are just like. You know, they've they've spent the last they spent the whole summer like saving up money on this bike they want and. This bike that's going to come out in September and. Two weeks before the bike's going to come out, it, it gets delayed two months. The the, the bike is going to now come out in in November. And you just buy the, the, the bike you like the second most. That's like good. It's a fine bike, but it's not the one you've been thinking about all summer and waiting on and saving up money working at the ice cream shop for. So, like, I just want them to have a little – you waited this long. Just, like, have a little bit more patience if you think Kyle Lowry is – and maybe they think, you know, he doesn't have a lot of tread on the tires. He – um has been a late bloomer. I just hope that Brian Clando doesn't convince himself. This is another Steve Nash situation where he's going to sign a 30 year old and he's going to be awesome until he's 37. Like I, I worry about that. I, I think it's, he's bound to have a downturn during the contract, which is he's going to be making like $40 million at the end of it. And that, that would really suck. Cause that's when you imagine the Sixers really hitting their stride is like in the next three or four years. I really liked the, uh, the tread on the tires and the commitment to the uh, bike analogy. That was, that was strong. Sometimes you save up all your money for a bike and it turns out to be Chandler Parsons. That happens too. Um, <laughs> what is your confidence level in the ownership and Brian Colangelo to move on and, and to move into this like free agency and ending the process and moving towards becoming a playoff team? Like I actually, I, I've been more positive about Brian Colangelo than I think most Sixers fans, and definitely most like process Twitter people. I, I think 
he hasn't done anything yet to make me lose hope. Like the fact that he's been patient to this point, um, you could say that with the with the Okafor and Noel situations, he mishandled that. I, I feel like, honestly, he was dealt a bad hand with it. Both players had lost a ton of value. He took a gamble on hoping they'd re- recoup some of their value. Neither did. Now he's Noel, he pretty much had to give away Okafor. He's probably going to have to give away too. Um, other than that, I feel like he's been pretty measured. And, you know, they took Ben Simmons to the top last year. They took a couple, um, took one Euro who's over here in Timothy Lawawu. They took another one they stashed. Like, that was pretty much what everyone wanted. Like, everyone was like, when, when he was first hired, was like, oh, now we're going to draft, like, in the end of the first round, we're going to draft like two college seniors, like 24 year old seniors. We're going to throw a bunch of money at like, I forget who he, who it was last year. Everyone was afraid of. We're going to go out and like trade Dario Saric for, you know, Ursan Sova. Like it, people really had like a doomsday idea of Brian Colangelo. Like he was Billy King. Like he's not, he's, I think he's not Sam Hinkie in the sense that he's not like an ideologue in, in that way. But I think, I trust him to he wants the same thing that that Sam Hinkie did. And I I think he might not be as committed to doing it no matter what it takes and no matter how long it takes. But I think we're early enough in this that I I trust that he's not going to just take a huge gamble, especially with how the the Raptors situation panned out. I mean, I I hope he's learned something from from that situation because it was similar and that they tried to build around Chris Bosh and, you know, they they kind of hamstrung themselves for the future doing that and making, you know, taking gambles on, on players. And I mean, even they tried to sign Steve Nash at the end of his career, which would have been disastrous. So I don't know. I, I guess I just talked myself out of it as I was as I was saying why I, <laughs> why I trust him. But I don't think it's he hasn't been as bad. He hasn't been bad at all. He's been fine. Everyone thought it was gonna be terrible. And he's been fine. Um, ownership, I trust a lot less. Um, I just think they're really hands off, which is good. That was great when when Sam Hankey was here. They're really hands off. Um, I worry that as the team gets better, they maybe try to exert their influence a little bit more. Um, I also don't think they I, I thought they were one of the more patient fam or uh, ownership groups in the league. And that really proved to not be true um, in the way that Sam Hankey situation went down. I think that whole situation with bringing in Jerry Colangelo and having a two person search for GM that that was Brian and one other guy. Like, yeah. I think all of that's made me feel a lot worse about the ownership group. Um, at the end of the day though, as long as they let Brian Colangelo do what he needs to do, I think he's in such a good position with the assets they have and the cap space and all that. Like it's pretty hard to mess it up. Even if you go out and sign Kyle Lowry and it's the worst case scenario and he's in two years, he's, you know, a bench player. I mean, even then I, I still think you're okay. And you felt like he, he had to deal Nerlens Noel. Um, I would have, I wouldn't have dealt him once I got to the point where he did not have the kind of value they were looking for. And they basically traded him for two second round picks and Justin Anderson. Like I would have just waited until the summer. Um, if someone else signed him and as a restricted free agent threw a bunch of money and you didn't want to match it, like let him go. But I would have tried to resign him for like, I don't know, 14 million, 15 million, like in this, in this market, that's like, to me seemed about right and, and wouldn't hamstring you. So like I would have, I I thought there was more value in trying to get him on a favorable deal in the summer or trying to match someone's deal. If he signs a reasonable deal with someone else than like getting two second round picks and a player I don't think is going to be here long term. So 
Um, if you were going to trade him, I think it wasn't it wasn't Brian Colangelo's fault that the value was low. I do I do agree with you though that they could have just not traded him, but that was also part of the situation they were put in was that they had three bigs and Noel didn't want to be here anymore. The last time I had you on, I asked you about the Sixers with all their undrafted players and second round players who they gave lots of minutes to. And some of them showed promise. Like some of them have come through like Robert Covington looks pretty good. Um, Rashawn Holmes is doing really well, but I, I asked you about how those guys would do when being removed from kind of the low expectation and the, I don't know, no consequences playing time they were getting on the Sixers. And since then, like Hollis Thompson, uh, he's not really in the league. Jakar Sampson, not in the league. Jeremy Grant, uh, got moved to Oklahoma City. Didn't look, hasn't looked great on the Thunder. So, but because of those examples, um, I will say like Lavoy Allen, he's looked fine um, outside of the Sixers. But because of those examples, do you have any hesitation on the Sixers giving a large extension to Robert Covington? Who again, like I like him, he seems great. But I also wonder like, is this guy actually good or is this guy good on a lottery team? Well, I, I would say it's different because I, I think. Guys like Jakar Sampson and even like Isaiah Cannon and stuff, they were Sixers good. You know, they <laughs> yeah. were like, and they weren't even good. They were just like Sixers passable. Yeah. Um, Robert Covington has legitimately been like the Sixers second or third best player for the last two or three years. Mm-hmm. And I think none of those other guys fall into that category. Like the only one who even I think comes close to that, who hasn't panned out all that well somewhere else is Hollis Thompson. And, and I don't think Hollis Thompson was ever at Robert Covington's level. And I mean, Hollis, like all, all three of those guys would get DNP'd by Brett Brown um, when they were with the Sixers. So I, I, I think Robert Covington pretty quickly on established himself here and ever since has been a starter playing about 30 minutes a game. And his shooting has been up and down, but his defense has been awesome, especially this past year. I think all those other guys had their moments or they'd have their month where they were hot and we'd get excited about them. But Robert Covington's actually been good. So I, I get, I get the question. I think too, it's like, is playing on the Sixers even helpful for Robert? Like if you're a a three and D guy, it's like, is it really beneficial to play on the Sixers? Like I get the, the idea of, Oh, he's just doing it on the Sixers, but it's almost like, yeah, he's like hitting threes and defending. Like, I don't know how much that it's like he has a bunch of guys around him who don't know how to don't know how to play help defense and a bunch of guys around him who don't space the floor and can't like drive and kick. So I don't, I don't know if it like really even helps him that much. It might even be a hindrance right. to what he's doing. Yeah, because he he ideally would have a lower usage type thing. Yeah, you know, where, where he he wouldn't be called on to do as much. But what do you what kind of neighborhood? Um, I mean, I he is, I believe extension eligible. Like what kind of neighborhood of salary do you think it's going to take um, for him to resign? I hear most people, most people guess around like 15 or 16 a year, which is, it it sounds like a lot. And I I have to like get myself out of the mindset of thinking that's a lot. I think of like, I guess 16 is closer to what maybe like nine or 10 used to be. Mm -hmm. But to me, that's, that's pretty fair. That sounds about what in, you know, if you think like five years ago, what a young ish, um, starting caliber, you know, yeah. two way player, and he's a role player. But I think I think that's like what you're looking at yeah, is is what would have been nine or ten in the past is now like sixteen. Tyler Johnson money, yeah. <laughs> Although I, I, mean, I love Tyler Johnson. There's no there's no slander in that in that statement. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm a big fan. Um, 
with the uh, with the big draft party last night or the lottery party last night and all the hinky stuff, the raising of the hinky banner, which again, if, if listeners, if you haven't seen it, you got to see the video of them raising this this hinky banner. I'm curious, do you have any sense that people like how the Sixers organization themselves feel about this fetishization of Sam Hinky? Oh, they hate it. They do hate it. They, they hate it. Hate it. <laughs> I think I think they kind of hated it even when he was here. Yeah. Um, I think they they thought at the time that brought a lot of attention they didn't want on the team. Um, I think like honestly, I think the phrase "trust the process" may have been what got Sam Hinkie fired. Like it gave it gave a or the process it gave like a name and a face to an idea that was like already out there, which is basically tanking. Um, but the Sixers were just doing it to a greater extent than other teams had done it. But by calling it the process and by having this guy, Sam Hinkie, who was like the face of it, you were able to kind of point to or people were able to point to it and go like, no, this is different than what we've seen in the past. This is something that needs to be stopped. Um, so I think they didn't like it then. And now I think they don't like it because I mean, I feel bad for Brian Colangelo because like there's really nothing at this point he can do um, unless, you know, he goes out and makes a huge trade for a player who ends up being their best player or he finds a Kawhi Leonard in the rough, like diamond in the rough late in the draft or um, this year's pick. And even this year's pick, though, it's the King swap. Like, I think you can kind of point to so many things on the roster. And if you want to give Sam Hinkie credit for it, you can find a pretty legitimate way to do that, whether it's Ben Simmons, because that was the year he tanked to get that pick. Like, take, I mean, I wouldn't give Brian Colangelo necessarily credit for taking Ben Simmons. He was a consensus one and they got the one pick after he was hired. Um and then obviously Embiid, obviously Sarich, the King swap, and all the and both these future picks coming up are both hinky things. I, I feel kind of bad for Brian Colangelo, not in the sense that like he's in a great situation. He's like basically getting to spend someone else's money that they earned. Um, but there's really nothing he can do. I feel like to put his stamp on the team that I, I think. I mean, even it's it goes beyond the party. It's like you turn on local like Comcast Sportsnet locally. And they're, you know, showing this party and they're talking about, you know, what Hinky left. And they're you're having segments about, um, you know, looking back at Hinky a year after his firing. It's like kind of crazy, really. Uh, I think it's a really unique situation. Um, but yeah, I think the team hates it in a way because it and definitely I'm sure Brian Colangelo doesn't like it because it, it just takes puts him in a position where he, he can only mess it up. He can't get credit for it being good. I hear what you're saying. I'm I'm gonna hold off on on feeling bad for Brian Colangelo. <laughs> I feel I feel like his life has gone just fine. Um, uh, you said it's a unique situation. It obviously is a unique situation. Another thing that's very unique is like just that that lottery party of getting more than three thousand fans together, just going nuts, cheering for the draft lottery. Can you think of anything like that in all of sports? Like anything that's comparable to that? I can't think of anything. It's it's so <laughs> crazy. And the thing that's funny is, um, you know, the Sixers are not, I think for, as an outsider, and tell me if this is the perception you have, like the Sixers aren't this, they're not like the Green Bay Packers. They're not like this, this uh, fan base that's so ravenous and always has been and like is really, uh, or like the Raiders or like the Seattle Sounders or the Timbers. Like the Sixers historically don't have that, the, that like ravenous local fan base that's really crazy and does weird stuff and is like 
super engaged. I mean, I remember when I was younger and even when I moved back to Philly after college, like nobody wanted to watch Sixers games. This is like 2010. It's like nobody wanted to watch Sixers games with me. I was like streaming them online illegally at college and people thought I was crazy. And when I came back to Philly, like you go into bars and it would be a Tuesday night and the Sixers would be playing and they'd have like uh, Law and Order SVU without sound on instead. Like <laughs> it's um, it's crazy. I feel like it's really brought people out of the woodwork. Like I think it's brought people like me who were crazy about the team and have been for a long time. Um, it brought us together in a way. I think really social media has done that. But I think this whole process in combination with people being able to interact with each other through social media and then the Bryce Ricky Sanchez party and everything is brought together a bunch of people who previously thought they were the only ones who cared this much about the Sixers. So I don't know if it's like unique to Philadelphia. Um, and I wonder if you could see this in other cities, if you just had the kind of um, thing to rally. I think it's like different. It's the process thing feels really different than Sixers fandom. Um, like, I feel like I have way less in common with the Sixers and, you know, 55 year old Sixers fan who doesn't know what rice Ricky Sanchez is and thinks the people at the party are crazy and doesn't listen to podcasts. Like, I think I have way less in common with that person than like a really crazy Timberwolves fan. Like, and there, there are some out there. So I think it's like this. Um, I don't know. I, I think there's something about the landscape here. Um the the success of those few podcasts, um, I won't include mine in that. It's really it's really Spike and Mike's Bryce to Ricky Sanchez podcast. I feel like started it. It just kind of brought people together in a way that um, is really unique. Yeah, I think it is unique, and I think it's strange how I mean it's cool, and it's strange how you said you don't think the organization is the Sixers organization is very happy with it because it seems like that kind of natural branding and mobilization of fans that most teams would kind of kill for. I know like the Memphis Grizzlies get so much credit of being able to just lock in on this, like we don't bluff all heart grit, grind, grind city type things where like, what just seems to be natural outpourings that they were able to turn into a whole marketing and ethos for the city to rally behind. So it seems like, I mean, and if it is just the, the podcast hipstery subset of Sixers fans who are more into it. It seems like the Sixers would, would want to grab onto this and spread it to the 55 year old longtime Sixers fans and make it more of a like community type thing or something, something that they could really benefit from as a team. Cause again, it seems like that's been uh, maybe something lacking, as you said, like there wasn't a great deal of excitement about the Sixers before they embarked on this process and some of it is a, I guess, out of necessity, out of uh, Stockholm syndrome of having to, uh, you know, like, like we're stuck with this. Let's, let's make the best of it. But it does to me seem like that they would want the team would want to somehow show that they're fully on board. Although I guess that does make it awkward for Sam Harris and Brian Colangelo and, and the like. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think and I will say I don't think the team likes it, but they like they have to acquiesce to it a little bit like. Obviously, Joel Embiid's calling himself the process now. Yeah. Um, the team puts trust the process on on stuff. Um, trying to think, like their social media accounts probably the most uh, outward about like they never talk about Sam Hinkie, but they like make allusions to the process or to like the the pick swap stuff. Like they kind of play to that side of the fan base, um, and I think that's the right move. I think they're, they're decent about about like giving it lip service. I just think. 
behind the scenes, there's a dislike of it. But I agree. I think it's it's the the process and the like stupid people like us who just do like dumb Sixers memes and <laughs> like make podcasts and write on Liberty Ball. Like that has brought that that has brought the engagement level around the team so much higher than I think they realize. Um, and it's not like we've done anything special. It's just like I said, we, it's just bringing people together to one place um, who already existed and were already out there. And I think I've I've grown um, as I guess grown as a six fan. I've become a much bigger fan um, in the last four years because now I have all these other people to share that fandom with instead of just watching games by myself and having no one to talk to them about. <laughs> Yeah, that's, 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 I think it's cool. I still think it's fun. I mean, again, I, I don't want to put myself through all the losing, but I do think it's really cool how, how Sixers fans have, have become this, this little community uh, of enjoying the process. Um, last thing, looking at this team, and as they do, again, transition from hope into hopefully tangible wins, there's still a lot of question marks, obviously, with the biggest names on the team, with Ben Simmons, who we haven't seen play you know, NBA basketball and with Joel Embiid, what do you think we're going to see from those two guys or what do we need to see from those two guys for the Sixers to have a successful season next year? Yeah, I I guess, I don't know if I have like a number of games they need to play or number of wins or whatever. I think for Embiid, it's, it's only the number of games games played is all I care about. Um, he's, he's supposed to be back playing five on five in like two weeks. Um, he had surgery a couple months ago or about a month and a half ago. So I'm not that concerned about the knee injury. Like it was a minute, like a pretty minor from what they say, meniscus injury or surgery. Um, he's supposed to be back pretty soon. His feet have been totally fine. That was the thing that kept him out for two years. It was a foot injury. He hasn't had any since his second surgery is that nothing with that. Um, I just want to see him be healthy for a season. I already know that if he's healthy, He's a beast. So I, I just if he struggles a little bit next year or whatever, it's like I've seen what he can do. So I feel pretty confident about that. Ben Simmons, obviously, we haven't seen anything other than summer league. Um, I guess for him, I'm not really concerned about injury just because, um, you know, it was a kind of freak, like turned his foot and broke you know, turned his ankle, broke his foot. Um, it wasn't like a stress injury or anything that seems like it would be recurring. So I'm, I'm less in, I'm less concerned about that. The thing I'm most, I guess, I wouldn't say worried. The thing I'm paying most attention to is how he really fits as a point guard because it seems like the Sixers are going to use him that way to start. And I think whether he can really do that or not, and I don't know if I believe he can, um, or I at least need to see more to to believe he can. Whether he can do that or not, I feel like changes the trajectory of the team and how you're building it because the biggest need they have is point guard. Um, whether they get Kyle Lowry or not, and Kyle Lowry is a guy who can kind of play the two also, or could, you know, play a hybrid kind of role where they split ball handling duties. Um, if Ben Simmons can be a point guard and, and be proficient at it, I think it really changes everything. I mean, he's a guy who's six ten and um, great rebounder, can push the flo- push the ball in transition. Like, I think it really makes you a unique team. So, um, and, and allows you to do some interesting things at the other positions. So. Embiid's health and whether Simmons can really play point guard are the two things I'm looking at. Well, I'm I'm cheering for you guys to get healthy because those are two guys that just seem like it's going to be so exciting for just general NBA fans. Like the league pass, the games we got of Joel Embiid this year were, were already amazing. The idea of adding to that, you know, the potential of Ben Simmons, it, it could be a lot of fun. 
So, Max, uh, thanks so much for joining us. You got anything you want to plug or tell people where they can get your your shirts and podcasts? Um, yeah, so we, uh, we're we at Step Over Tees. Um, you can find that on my Twitter account. It's at Max Rappaport. It's also at, um, it's at Step Over Tees, uh, which is just spelled the way you think it would, T-E-E-S at the end. Um, we have a pretty dope, I will say, uh, it's a Sam Hinky stepping over Vlade Divac, uh, reminiscent to the Allen Iverson stepping over Tyron Liu. Uh, that's our newest design. I'm pretty happy about that. Um, worked out pretty well with the timing, uh, getting that out right after the swap. Other than that, just kind of plugging away. I feel like it's kind of slow time for us. Um, especially, especially with the three pick, I almost feel like there's less to talk about on, on our podcast, which is exclusively a Sixers podcast, a step over podcast. Um, I feel like it's kind of decided what's going to happen. It's like, it's either going to be ball or it's going to be Jackson. And it's just whoever falls and we'll talk about that for the next month. <laughs> and I just talk about those two players every day or every, every week. Um, but yeah, if you want to listen to that, I, I know I just sold it really well. If you want to listen to that, it's called the step over pod and you can find that also on my Twitter account. All right. Well, perfect Max. Thanks so much for your time. Hopefully we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. All right. Thanks to Max again for taking time to join me and putting up with the technology issues. Check out the step over pod for more Sixers content. Or if you want some sweet novelty Sixers t-shirts, go to step over tease and check those out a big thanks to all of our patreon subscribers tonight on our slack chat there was a pretty awesome discussion about the alien movies and prometheus and longtime listener sam wilkinson laid a lebron james level smackdown on the whole thread so if that sounds like something you want to get involved with go to patreon.com slash fast break breakfast and sign up. Get yourself on that Slack chat to talk about whatever you want. Also, you can follow us for free on Twitter at Fast Break Break. Write us an iTunes review. Remember those Memorial Magic votes at FastBreakBreakfast.com. And if you can remember all that, also like us on Facebook. All right, you guys are the best. Thanks for listening. And remember, breakfast is the most important thing. Yeah, never apologize for being G and G. Fast break, break, man. You understand? Know